Hey, this is Reza. This is Sandy. Welcome to the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Hello and welcome to the 175th recording of the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. I'm actually pretty excited about this one. Yeah, not that I'm good. not excited about the other ones. That came out wrong. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we'll never get uh, sponsorships now. Uh, we're just not going to get this intro right. No, this is yeah. the uh, this is the second recording that we're doing. Uh, the, I guess the pre-recordings that we're doing. Last week's episode is pretty fun. The one that we recorded yesterday about the the uh, the TLDR too lazy, too long didn't read, too lazy didn't read. Right. This one we're we're sticking out with. I guess it's kind of a similar theme, discussing an Ask Reddit thread, and. I think they're, I think these are nice because they're kind of like, these are nice. These are a nice type of episode to record before, like, or early because there's no, there's no like sense of like current event, if you will, with these episodes. Right. They're standalone. Yeah. So you can slot this guy anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, we tend to not do that though. We tend to always record on Sunday. And the only time we do this is when we're traveling. So I want to say like, Four to five times a year total, we'll do it, and that might well, be. Well, we're going to have a few a of these coming up. Yeah, this this year is interesting just because all the travel that I have planned. I right. think I'm thinking for LA though. I'll just use my. It'll be worse quality. I just won't take my mic, but I'm still going to have my laptop oh, on gonna me. Do that to everybody. I mean, we could pre-record. It. It's not a big deal either way, I guess. But yeah, I we'll think, see. We'll see. I think it'll just force us to do two episodes again. Um, yeah, despite true. the fact that I'm only gone for one week. Okay. Well, let's see how we feel. Yeah. Because especially if we can do so like a standalone like this and keep it to like forty five minutes or something, we might be we might be in a decent spot. Right, right. Okay. I also don't want to like make you have to lug all that stuff to LA. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just my laptop at that point. I'm not going to take the mic, uh, but I don't know. I, yeah, not we, true. We'll figure it out. All right. We'll 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 think about it or talk about it. Whatever, whatever, whatever happens when it comes, we'll make it work. So for uh, this week, we're gonna we're gonna link the Ask Reddit thread again. Um, and it's a, what's a, let that sink in fun fact. So do you want to kind of give the, the listeners, uh, kind of a recap or, or I guess explain the concept of this thread and explain like how you found this? No. Okay. That's fine. You're going to reason why I say you, no. You're going to have to recap. You're going to have to give the explanation of the, th- of what that means, at least what, what's a let that sink in f- fun fact. Oh, well, oh, well, hmm. I think it's just more fun to tell you a fact and let you think about that for a second. You decide Okay. if, you know, theoretically, 56,900 people are wrong. And then that's on you to tell them. Fine. Cool. Kick us off. All right. The first one. Uh, we're, so we're sorting these by best on Reddit. Um, and and I how does that, what does best mean? I mean, there's different algorithms for different things. My understanding of best is because it's different than top, top. If they were to rate, if they were to rank these by top, that that will sort the, um, it'll sort the comments in the order of what has the most upvotes, uh, to what has the fewest at the very end, and or I guess the most downvotes at that point. And I think what best does is it tries to prevent posts that were posted like first. That has the most upvotes to always be at the top. And oh, that's so what, right. that's what happened is, to, to mine. Right. It tries to. I think it tries to. Um, 
it tries to perform some type of weighting by like weight w e i g h t uh assign some type of value to these comments based on how quick how much or how i guess the ratio of upvotes to downvotes as well as how quickly it accumulated the points that it does have and so let's say i posted a comment 2 minutes ago and that comment gets 100 points right let's say you posted a comment 2 hours ago that gets 200 points i accumulated 100 points in 2 minutes and it's likely then that that post is going to show up on people's at the very top of people's comments because of how quickly I attained those upvotes. It's probably because I said something very insightful or something very interesting that caused a hundred people to give that a point to give that up, give that an upvote. But if they were to sort by top, of course, then yours would show up because it does have more points than I have. So, uh, the first. The first comment, and, and again, the, the reason why I guess we just mentioned we're sorting my best is that people kind of want to go along and read kind of the child comments to these to see what other people have to say about it. But we're going to just stick to the to the uh, the parent threads. The United States. I mean, we'll has... cover we'll cover a child one if it adds more okay flavor. Or... Yeah, I haven't read these, so it's po- yeah. If if that happens, then yeah, we'll definitely do that. So the first one is the United States hasn't minted any new Purple Hearts. Uh, Purple Heart medals since World War II. We've been using the stockpile that was prepared in anticipation of a ground invasion of Japan. That makes sense. That's less of a fun fact than a almost, uh, I, I guess, kind of a morbid fact. I, I just, I guess, I think the idea of that is pretty kind of, it's kind of scary. Well, think about it for a second. The initial and accepted estimation or estimates. Um, of American casualties was going to be a million plus for a ground invasion because the idea being that the fanatical defense that the Allied forces had experienced at the hands of the Japanese, they extrapolated to, well, the entire civilian population is going to do that as well. And so one of the main numbers that uh, strategists at the time were using was in, in terms of like dropping the bomb or not um if we don't drop the bomb and we commence a land invasion conventional land invasion which would have eclipsed d-day size many times over um they're saying by the by the time that the japanese surrendered a million casualties which means you need a million minimum purple hearts yeah i mean it's just it's kind of crazy how crazy is that and plus all of the uh all of the engagements, we'll call them, all of the wars and engagements and conflicts that we've had since pale in comparison. Right. I mean, yeah. So it's a time. It's 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 when you when you read or hear about World War One, World War Two, you it just makes you appreciate the the relative times of peace that we do live in that we have that America's lived in for the last I guess like fifty sixty years. Well, I mean, America's been at war during that time. Yeah, of course it has been, but I'm I'm just saying at that scale. That's why I said right. relative the relative, relative times of peace. Sure. When you're when you're not talking about hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people dying every year, when you're when you have countries, entire countries at war with with each other. Right. I don't, how how many how many other countries has America been at war with? Like actual organized countries has has America been at war with since then? As compared to like say the the fighting that happens in Afghanistan. It's not that America's at war with Afghanistan. Um, um, well, it'd be Korea and Vietnam. Right. 
because those are known as wars and not yeah. conflicts, although some people like to call them conflicts. America lost 50,000 soldiers in Korea. Um, and then they lost, I think I want to say... A lot in Vietnam. I don't know the number in Vietnam. I don't know the number. Lot. I want to say 30? 30,000? 30, you want to look that up? Yep. 58,220, if that number that Google has picked out is correct. For Vietnam? Yeah. What was Korea? Uh, I think it's 54,000. Oh, I, I, I think to, I remember. I, I remember there being a really famous political cartoon um, that talked about either the 58,000 or the 54, 58,000 in Vietnam or the 54,000 in Korea that said, like, I guess they died for nothing. I think it might have been about Vietnam because, uh, like, Vietnam was about finding, it was like uh, operating under the Cold War uh, thought process of containment. And at the end, like, America retreated out of Vietnam, in a sense. I mean, right. they signed a, an armistice. Like, America didn't technically lose that war. But when they left Hanoi and the North Vietnamese took it over, like, that was basically the end of that conflict. Like, there, there was no coming back after that. Right. Um, but also, at the same time, America was fighting the Chinese and the Russians in both Korea and Vietnam. Yeah. Can't forget about that. Right. Anyways. So I got the actual numbers here from Wikipedia. What do you got? Uh, Korean War have 36,516. That includes combat deaths as well as other. And Vietnam is 58,209 okay. total. All right. So I, got th- so I got them flipped. Yeah. War okay. in Afghanistan, 2,409. Iraq yeah. War, 4,497. Yep. Yep. Okay. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Yeah. So That is a, that is a fact that you're sinking, though. It is. Uh yeah. Okay. The next one. We can't prove we aren't in a simulation. And so, so let me, you want to read the, uh, the comment too below that? Uh, sure. So it says the chances that we are in a computer, that we are a computer simulation is more plausible than that we are alive and living a real life. Now it's comments like these that make you sit, that make you wonder like, wait, what? It's not like anyone's giving a citation for this. There's no real justification for said statement so for that, for that child comment so, so somebody tries to is my further. second comment is yeah go ahead read the read no, no, the further what, one what no what what is your second comment well to explain this a little further oh okay oh okay that's the one under that yeah all right yeah go ahead it says if we reach a stage where we are capable of creating simulations with this degree of sophistication then we could run a vast number of them if each computer could run multiple versions, and even a small number of computers were set up to do so, eventually, at least some of the simulations would develop until the simulated people could run simulations of their own. Then, the simulated people of those people, of those simulations, could run simulations and so on and so forth into infinity. So, at the beginning, if we're sort of like level one and we create the simulation, at some point, the simulations, if they were left to run on their own devices, could simulate up to our point and then create those simulations again. And so if there is one reality and potentially infinite simulations, then it is statistically improbable that we live in reality, which explains a lot about the last year or so. Um, So that's interesting, right? Like the whole idea that we might be in a computer simulation. 
Yeah, I I've read so I definitely thought this one was interesting. I definitely thought about it because I did I did see this one before we started. Although I haven't seen anything after, I've seen papers or at least I links to papers that try to prove that we're not in a simulation. And I don't know what I don't know with what means they do. Right. To, What's the success to, scenario for that? Well, there's it, it's it's I think it's something. I think it's some like phys- physics and astronomy type work that that they use to prove that we're not in, in a simulation in some in some way. I don't I don't really understand. Um, I thought this one was interesting because if you could create a computer simulation to simulate reality, that would mean and, and then another simulation like that that simulation society is able to create a computer which can simulate another another reality. That would mean that the the uh the that that computer running the simulation would have to be powerful enough to run multiple simulations of that society's of that reality's simulation right if that makes sense because you're not just running this simulation now your computer is, is responsible your your computer needs to be proud powerful enough to perform the next level of simulations right it's like a dream within a dream right so then i then i'm just sitting there thinking huh computers computers got to crash eventually do they I mean, it depends on how powerful this computer is. If you had if, a power, if, powerful enough computer with an infinite uh, energy source, well, it's, it it's about the, the components. It's about the computational resources. It's like you, uh, computers only have so much RAM. They only have so much uh, memory or um, processing power, compute right. cycles. And so if you're creating simulations within simulations within simulations, it's like creating an infinite loop and... Like so, an infinite loop in a computer. Basically, you can say, while something is true, perform an action, right? So if you say, if you say while true, perform action, that will run forever until somebody kills the program because um, there's nothing within that statement with within that action that's going to change true right. to false, and so right. so it's going to run forever. And so if in, within that statement, with within that that uh, loop, you say while true. And you start performing computations, or you start filling the memory, you start filling the RAM with data. The RAM is eventually going to completely fill. Then it's going to start to op- to uh, to write to the hard disk, which will take a lot of time because the hard disk is a lot slower to write to and access data from than writing to RAM. Eventually, you're just going to run out of of hard of hard disk storage. Not to mention the fact that your simulation would slow down it vastly because you're u- you're utilizing the hard disk rather than RAM and other fast. Uh, fast memory uh, options. So I feel like it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought, but given enough time and without expanding, without expanding the, uh, the computational resources of those computers running these simulations, then eventually you just crash. I mean, but that's also like, do we take into account how far technology has grown in the last 40 years? Right. I mean, I guess if you're going to sit, if you, if you say, um, I mean, I guess there's, there's two thoughts. One, I guess if the simulation is just so simple, like if it's so, if it's so trivial for compute, for a computer to run, then it's not going to matter. However, right. if you were to let these simulation run inf- infinitely for an infinite amount of time, then eventually you're still going to, no matter how trivial that operation, you're still going to run out of resources mm-hmm. because you're running an infinite number of simulations within your computer. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I don't know how I don't know how I don't know how concrete this reasoning truly is, you know. Right. You want to move on to the next one? Uh, sure. 
Um, all right. I haven't read this one before. Schizophrenia's hallucinations are shaped by culture. Americans with, with schizophrenia tend to have more paranoid and harsher voices slash hallucinations. In India and Africa, people with schizophrenia tend to have more playful and positive voices. I have definitely read this before. Like, I've heard of that before. Yeah. That schizophrenia takes on the users or the, the, the patient uh, or the, uh, the patient's surroundings. So I have known that schizophrenia is not as horrifying or terrifying in other countries. That's all relative, right? But it's definitely not as negative uh, comparatively to, uh, with our cultures here for that very reason. Yeah. I think I've heard of this too. And it's kind of, but it's something that I haven't thought about in a while. And it's just, it, I think it's so, I think it's really crazy to think about how powerful the mind is that, and I guess how, how impressionable we are as oh, humans. Sure. Like you, you don't, you, you know, they talk about like nature versus nurture. Um, but it's really hard to, it's really hard to try to tease apart what causes something, whether it's, it's something's nature, or it's just the way it was raised. And there's like an infinite number of probabilities of what it is that causes a person to have the personality they, they, that they do. Is it because they were biologically wired to be that? Or is that just because of whatever combination of experiences that that person had that led them to this point? And I guess that's a little bit further away from what this from what the statement's saying, but I guess what I was trying to say is that just by the experiences that you, that we have in America, I think it's a little interesting that it's, that you, they have harsher voices. Like why, why do you think that is compared to the people from the other countries? Is it just because of the way that maybe we try to entertain ourselves and it tends to, we tend to try, we find, I guess, excitement and thrill I mean, I think it'd it, also it, be like the the eastern western uh, difference uh, in between me versus the community. I think that sort of the id in Western culture is so important that, or I think it's the id or the ego. Um, I think both rather uh, are so important to Western culture that the pressure to perform well, sort of, I think permeates it so uh to an extent where if you're not doing well then there's just so much negativity around failure you know failure is really taboo in this country people yeah. talk about like oh if you if at first you don't succeed try and try again that's cute but nobody ever wants to hear about the time you failed and when you talk about failure it's a very uh personal and very uncomfortable it can be very uncomfortable and vulnerable conversation to have and so I think maybe those are additional inputs to, to why things are harsher or cause more paranoia and schizophrenic hallucinations in the West. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, moving on. Since its discovery in 1930, Pluto has not yet made a full orbit of the sun. It's funny, it went from undiscovered to planet to not a planet in less than a Pluto year. <laughs> I just Googled this. Pluto's uh, uh, orbit takes 248 years. Jesus. Yeah. Neptune, 165. Wow. Yeah. It's still a lot. Yeah. Jupiter's 12. Uranus is 84. Those are the only three of the people that, show me, that, that, that Google showed me. I'm How much is Earth's? 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, That's pretty straightforward. No, I still think it's interesting. I I guess I think the reason why I think it's interesting, I mean, it's not necessarily just the distance from the sun, I guess, but I think it's still just how vast space is. Pluto, Pluto is so far from us and it's still relatively close to us compared to other things in this universe. Okay. All right. Next one. Yeah, I'm bored. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I'm reading this one. I just read the last one. Oh, did, oh, my bad. All right. Uh, is it the the Giza? Giza. Giza. The Giza Sphinx is so old that it was the ancient Egyptians themselves who performed the first restorations after digging it from under the dunes over a thousand years after it had been built. Yeah. So this is I didn't fun. Know that. This is fun because the ancient Egyptians were around for around I think four thousand years BC. So think about how we've only been around for 2,000 years post – or 2,000 years AD, right? And think yeah. of all the history that has happened since year zero up until 2018. Yeah. That's a lot of history. Now double that but add it to before the year zero. Right. That's how long the ancient Egyptians were around. I mean, the Egyptians are an ancient civilization, right? right. Them, the Iraqis, Horn of Africa, China, these are ancient civilizations where they're, they're really finding out that, uh, as of recently, that humans first, the most modern of, I guess, Homo sapiens, real early on, walked out of Africa around the Levant and then started the mass diaspora east. It's crazy, though, that, like, ancient Egyptians themselves found stuff that their ancestors did. Like, imagine digging something up a thousand years ago. It's like, yeah, America, the U.S. created the Statue of Liberty a thousand years ago, and we restored it. Yep. That's crazy. It's insane. I mean, I, I think the thing that's crazy about it is that there's just no way to know, even know, like, who built it and why. I think that's the thing that's, I think that's the thing that's kind of crazy when it comes to trying to conceptualize things yeah. from I, I, I mean, things that just ha- that weren't recorded. And it's pretty amazing how humans are still able to figure certain things out. But the, the, the rate of, of which we are discovering things like technologically with computers, uh, specialization of humans just makes our evolution so much, so much faster. Oh yeah. There's a, a th- I don't want to misquote this. But there is a stat that says Cleopatra lived closer to woolly mammoths still walking on Earth than she did our modern time. Yeah, I've heard that. I don't know. I don't remember if it was woolly mam- mammoths or what. But but yeah, that's that's pretty ridiculous. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. How long ago she was alive, and yet we have like all this history and, and literature written about her. There was a uh, there was a Reddit thread. I don't know how long ago it was, um, but it was or no, it wasn't a Reddit thread. It's like it's it was a uh, it was this epi- it was this episode of uh, Hello Internet, this podcast hosted by uh, Brady Heron and uh, CGP Gray. I think I've actually talked about that podcast before, and they were talking about this book that that they were reading, and it had like these short like 
I mean, I guess, I guess kind of similar to this, like let that sink in fun facts, but it was more like, like ponder this. And it was like, what if when you died, you were stuck in purgatory until nobody left alive on earth had any recollection of you or had, had like, and like you just were, you, you just didn't exist in anyone's, in anyone's mind ever again. In anyone's mind? In anyone's mind. So like Cleopatra no, was still being purgatory? Cleopatra was just stuck. Yeah. She yeah. Can't, she can't move through. Can't be famous. No. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's, just, it's, it's kind of a funny thought, I guess, because we spend so much time trying to be remembered, trying to have a lasting legacy. Right. And I think that's what makes it an interesting thought. It's like, oh, what you want to do, imagine if you had to be so meaningless or at least meaningless enough that eventually people stop thinking about you. No one, no one remembered your name. Right. And then you could pass to the, the pass on to heaven. I wonder how that would affect things. Like if we knew that those were the rules of the game and that you would die, go to purgatory and you could come back, but only if everyone forgot about who you were. And then imagine I mean, I, like sort of like the social hackers who would just go through and try and like look up the information on dead people who are like close to coming back. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that Spotify playlist of like made up of songs that have never been played. And the second you play it, it disappears from a playlist. I've never seen those playlists. That's interesting. Yeah. So if that were the case, imagine like trying to find out the list of songs that have been played once and then listening to that. You know what I mean? Just like. Yeah further prolonging that i mean it wouldn't that would be an interesting thing it's like okay at that point that you could prove that there's there is in fact an afterlife to everybody and everyone wants to get there right so nobody's nobody's going to want to be forgotten i guess it depends on what people say when they come back from purgatory (laughs) and they're just like oh it's sort of like like, so they have they they have a recollection of it well i don't know that's the thing though Uh, you'd want to ask them that they did have a recollection and you got to ask how how they come back do they come back in their present form do they uh, live their life again people gonna be people gonna be lying left and right i would never tell anybody that was that was back i don't want i don't want anybody to know like oh this is my first one guys um but like imagine imagine like just having a different sense of or different different type of justice system where if the ultimate reward or the ultimate goal is to be brought back and i'm just saying like that's if that's what that's what people decide or society decides that that's what you want, then you would never let criminals be forgotten. Exactly. You, you project like their names or whatever all the time. Yeah. To at least somebody. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's got to be responsible. Like, all right, you're responsible for Hitler. Can't maybe, forget his name. Or maybe right, it's it. just other criminals. It's like a self-fulfilling thing. Oh, that, that would, that would be, that would be devastating. Right. Like you're, you're stuck in prison, in prison and you're responsible for these hundred people. Well, no, you just play the play their names and their faces okay. on TV yeah, all yeah. the time, and just like, oh, well, yeah. All right, I'm moving on. All six stars of Friends negotiated two percent syndication rights for the show. Friends still makes about a billion dollars yearly through reruns. Hulu, I mean, that's what syndication means. Uh, all six Friends collect a twenty million dollar check annually. Yes, that means David Schwimmer still gets twenty million dollars a year for doing nothing. Uh, I mean, wow. It's not nothing, though. No, it's it's really not. Think of that's all the, the hard thing, work they the put thing into that. People that. Forget. I think people forget that all the time. I feel like this is one of the reasons why I love listening to those sports podcasts that we that that we listen to that are hosted by like NBA players. Yeah. When I when I hear things when people talk about um, 
like we'll say Mayweather or any UFC star, but I say Mayweather just because of how much money he pulls for single fights. People say, oh, he's made, you know, he, he made $50 million in one night. It's like, yeah, that's not really, he didn't make $50 million in one night. He spent months and months and months training for this fight. He had to negotiate that. He had to negotiate that price and he wasn't getting paid all that time that he was in the gym working out and stuff. Exactly. Like that, that, that was the, the money that was, that had to come after the fight. It's like, uh, I think, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's one of the richest, uh, people in Hollywood because his, I think he sold his original syndication rights for like $700 million. Yeah, I think so. And then he sold it again to Hulu. Like, imagine that. Imagine all the hard work you put into it once and then it being a hit, like a generational hit. I mean, Seinfeld's an institution. It's like friends. So many things in our society's lexicon comes from these shows. And then you're able to sell it for hundreds of million dollars multiple times. I think there was a rumor recently that there, he was going to try and get it on Netflix after the Hulu deal ran out because of his uh, Comedians and Cars deal. Ah, uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. Right? Like Wasn't now he's on... on two streaming services. Wasn't it on Netflix at some point? Like, I don't know, several years ago? It might have been for a little bit. Yeah. All right. Anyways, let's move on. Yeah. All right. Read this is the, the longer one. Read the, read the comment for the, right below it. I think that is, is easier. So skip it, the next one or read the the child under the under The, the, the first child one in a lifetime. You see that? I see the over the over. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. In the lifetime of a Japanese person, they went from samurai swords to nuclear weapons. 1867 to 1945. Wow. Isn't that crazy? The development yeah. of arms. I mean, the one below that says that in 1867, swords are mostly ceremonial and the Japanese have been using guns, but okay. Still. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, I mean, even think about, think about how much technology has advanced from the time that we've been alive. So I was born 88, you were 89, right? Yeah. The internet wasn't, wasn't like a thing. Right. Maybe it existed in some form at least, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that you found in everyone's house. A computer certainly wasn't every, something that you found in everyone's house at that time. Right. And now, and now, uh, a computer is found in every person's pocket. It's, a, it's almost expected that every person has a computer in their pocket. Yeah. And the, think of the, the damage you could do if you d took the time to learn something and like you had your computer, like you and I had exact same computers, right? You took the time to learn a skill about it, the computer, and I took the time to learn how to open up Hulu and Netflix and just like watch you stuff on YouTube. Like think of the damage you could do. Think of the damage that's done right now. All from a computer. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you can really take down institutions from anywhere you want. I mean, that's one of the things I've heard. You can, the, the, uh, the entire electrical grid of the United States is, is run off of something like, I don't know how, how few, um, central stations. Yeah. Like you can take out the, the entire Eastern seaboard by hacking like three, three stations or whatever it was. Exactly. I mean, that happened a couple of years ago. Remember yeah, that, when uh, we were in, I think it was in high school? Yeah, is it the blackout in New York City, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was like the entire grid, the Northeast yeah. grid going down. Yeah. Like we were affected in Pennsylvania. New York was all gone. Like that was apocalyptic. And there's been no improvements to that. 
like American infrastructure, they keep talking about like that bug, right? That'll just take down American infrastructure. Right. I mean, the, the argument that some people say is like, with especially with the America's nuclear weapons in like the NORAD program running out of the Dakotas, shit still runs on floppy disks. But like not the floppy disks that you and I own, like the super flimsy, really old school floppy disks. And they're saying that that's just harder to hack. Because how do you hack a floppy disk? Yeah. You know, but then again, it's just like, well, technology is only as safe as the people implementing it. So when they, when uh, John Oliver ran that story about like, oh, well, if you and I, it's like you and I are the guys that, you know, we do the night shift. And so there's only so much YouTube stuff that we can watch before we lose our minds. So then one of us has got to order food. But then we've been there so long, like, you know what, let's just crack the door open to the bunker. So when the Mexican sort of food delivery comes, we don't have to run all the way up. So you're telling me at one point that the bunker's door was just ajar, like you put a boot out there, just like, yo, listen, don't knock, just come right down. Right. It's crazy, man. Yeah. And plus, nuclear weapons back then were like, nobody believed that one bomb could destroy a city. And that was like, little man, uh, what, what, little boy and big man? Fat Fat, man, little boy. Fat, yeah. Fat man, little boy? Fat boy? Yeah, I believe so. Um, when, I mean, when it, when it detonated, people didn't know what the fuck happened. But like 30,000 people were instant, were like, what, incinerated? Or they just, oh, whoops. They were just obliterated. Like, there are still buildings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki that have imprints of people along the wall. Because they were just instantly, like, the not only did the light, the blinding light burn them and incinerate them, but the sort of wind that was generated from the detonation point just blew people, literally blew them away into mush. Like, it's pink mist. And then the yeah. mist is, like, it, it, it evaporates. Imagine evaporating. That's how hot it is. Isn't that, that crazy? Yeah. It's, it's, it's in... It's so difficult to to comprehend the devastation of it. Oh yeah, and that's the first iteration. Now we're talking thermonuclear yeah, weapons exactly. right. that are thousands of times more powerful than that. That don't need to be dropped from above. That can be launched from thousands of miles water. away. Yeah. yeah, below the water. Yeah, that. Did you hear about? about did you hear about the man who survived both bombings in both Hiroshima and Nagasaki? No. So, um. I believe what happened was that he was in Hiroshima for like, I guess he worked there and uh, I'm, I'm trying to read like the quick Wikipedia summary about it, but I believe he was in Hiroshima for work and the bombing happened. And I guess he um, returned to Nagasaki where I think he was, where he actually lived and worked. So I think he was in Hiroshima for like work, like a business trip basically went back to Nagasaki and the next bomb hits. Jesus. That's crazy. And it looks like he died at the age of 93. Yeah, 2010. That's crazy. Um, well, yeah, they talk well, about you- like, they talk about like, uh, when they tried to treat people that you couldn't touch them, the burns were so severe. Oh, God. Yeah. That if you touched them, the skin came off. Yeah. It's like that scene. Do you remember that movie, uh, We Were Soldiers? I never saw it, I don't think. So there's this moment where uh, Mel Gibson, it's basically, uh, I think it talks about like the Da Nang Valley. You got to see it. It's really crazy. 
they drop into a really hot LZ, and then uh, the North uh, Vietnamese basically own the mountains around this valley, and the Americans are pinned down for like three days. Well, in the beginning, the North Vietnamese are really starting to make headway, and it's like Alamo stand shit, right? So Mel Gibson gets on the line, and he calls uh, the, the code word is Broken Arrow. And what Broken Arrow does is it alerted every plane, both Air Force and Navy, in like the region, right, in the combat region, to come to this part of the battlefield and just drop all available ordnance on it. That's crazy, right? That's like, that's like the red button. Yeah, it is. Like we we're in such deep shit right now that I need every available aircraft in the air to come mm-hmm. and save us. So it's danger close, and there's one scene where um, he tells them the coordinates, and he's like trying to like put them like it's literally like he gave them their coordinates, and one of the planes dropped the bomb a little too late and the napalm hit american soldiers as well and so they're trying to save these people who are coated in napalm napalm isn't like gasoline right napalm is a gelatinous substance so what when napalm explodes it's like jelly that's on fire super sticky jelly that 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 lights on extremely high temperature so it's not like you can just like put that out you can't pat out napalm that's the whole point of napalm yeah that's terrible Um, Right. So so imagine little jello bits flying through the air, hot as the sun, and there's a scene where they try and lift up this dude who's like coated in burns, right? And then the skin just comes off his legs. It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. That's what nuclear weapons does. Anyways, um let's move on. I'm going to roll down a few, all right? All right. Um Let's see. There is, on average, a supernova explosion every 50 years in the Milky Way. On average, there are 30 every second in the observable universe. Yeah, that's 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 going back to the the what the comment that I made about the Pluto one. I think Just right. Like, how vast the universe is. I mean, space you, is so hard to comprehend. Yeah, I don't. I I certainly can't comprehend it. I mean, no matter how many metaphors, no matter how many uh, levels of extraction that, or extrapolation that you try to use to to try to help conceptualize it, I just don't think you you really can do it any type of justice. Like trying to trying to trying to understand things that are so small is is so hard to understand. It's so hard to comprehend, but also things that are so incredibly large. Just, I don't think human minds are, are are built for that. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like at that time when we were at the Air and Space Museum, and we saw that movie. Yes, exactly. With Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah, and you just try and comprehend the size and magnitude of things. Just like, dude, we're so inconsequential. That's always something right. that's really humbling when you think about like. The space that you take up, and then you start to like, all right, now let's step back, and now let's step back again, and just like you know, the cold emptiness of space, it really makes you wonder, like, why are we assholes to each other? I don't know. Along those lines is another is another one that I just find difficult to comprehend, truly. Really. But as you get closer to black holes, time goes slower. 
This means that everything farther away would experience time faster and faster as you get closer and closer to the black hole. A second for you could be a billion years for those outside of it. Thus, if you fell into a black hole and look outside, you would see the, the universe die with you. Is that true? See, that, that, that's, that's the difficult thing for me to comprehend when it comes to this. Because um, is that the accepted uh, outcome right now? I'm looking, someone actually says, this is actually incorrect. From the perspective of someone falling into a black hole, uh, the actual falling would be pretty underwhelming. Assuming it's large enough of a black hole that you don't get spaghettified, you pass through the event horizon without much hassle. As you fell toward the horizon, you'd see the sky become more and more blue shifted from the time dilation. Uh, but the time dilation would not be such that you would see the entire future of the universe. You could only do this if you had a magic rocket that could stop you right at the edge of the event horizon. Oh, okay. Okay, I see what they're saying. Right. So, so like, it's like, I feel like it's a bit of a semantical argument. Sure, it's, like, it's not that's necessarily true. saying you fall, as you fall in, you're, you could see the entire universe fall or die with you, but your perception, what you, your second still would be, could still be perceived as a billion years for outside of that black hole. But the idea of a black hole is still crazy to me. Just that, um, the amount of gravity, the, the amount of mass that, that, that point has is just, and the, and the things with time, like, I don't know. It's just, it's difficult to, for me to comprehend. Huh. That's, uh, I mean, there's what? There's this one right below it that says, what does it say? Sorry. If the Earth was a marble, you would need seven miles of space to construct a uh, a solar system thing. Like a model of a solar system. Yeah. If the Earth was a marble, you would need seven miles. Come on. That's crazy. If you take into account the fact that people on average sleep eight hours per day, and you live to be 99 years old, you would have spent 33 years of your life sleeping. Oh my God. Two to one ratio. Yeah. How much, how many hours of sleep do you need on average? I used to, I used to try, um, be okay getting, um, like I could, I would get like, I'd get like five or six and I'd be fine, but I couldn't do that on a sustained level. So I couldn't do like four or five multiple days in a row and yeah. be as productive as I was that first day. So I might be able to get away with doing like five hours one night, but then I'm going to want my seven to eight after that. Yeah. So I hear I, you. Nowadays I'm, I'm just trying to get seven to eight, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe six, but yeah. So when do you normally go to bed nowadays? Nowadays? Um, usually about 11, 1130. And then you, when you wake up? Uh, seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I'm like you right now. I'm finding out that I can run five to six hours of sleep, but my body breaks down by the end of the week. You my right. body just gets infinitely more tired. And then so usually a Saturday, I'll sleep in, quote unquote, but I'll still be up at like six or seven because of like how my body is wired. Because I'm going to bed probably around like, I want to say 1130. 
Like, 11.30 is like a good time for me to be in bed, lights out, ready to go to bed. But I'm up every day at 5.15. Or at least I'm awake, I'm awakened by my alarm at 5.15. I've got five alarms between 5.15 and 5.30. Wow, five? Jeez. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm out of bed by 5.30 every day, getting ready to go to the gym. Um, my gym so class like is... on those early those early workouts, man. It has to happen. But early workouts are tough because I'm definitely yeah. not as energized as I am at night. Right. I was just talking to Lena about this the, uh, maybe yesterday or two days ago. It was about, I was just saying, like, it's impressive that she's able to go as early as she does. Yeah, but her like charge one. is even crazier. Yeah, well, she's at the, she's working out by five. Right. Which she, means, she does when the does five she go to, to six bed? workout. She's usually in bed by 10. Okay. So she has to be up by like 4.30. But see, probably 4.30. The latest, Cause she's gotta get ready. Right. And then, so is like, yeah, that's like, that's six and a half. No, she, and she's been doing like this, um, she's been trying to do like longer periods of fast. Oh, um, wow. Where, where she doesn't eat breakfast until maybe like 10 a.m. So even after she's worked out, yeah, I find so that you're I, starving the body. Well, she's she's not hungry. Like I, I think she just got to the point. Like it's not like she's dying and and just like holding out. Like oh come on, you know, for another five minutes or whatever. Right. It's not like that Ramadan level fast where you're ignoring your body's desire to eat. Um, she just doesn't feel that level that that in, that need to eat anything. I'm sure she has like a couple like little things maybe in the morning, but uh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I was saying that it's just impressive to be able to go and work out at that time. I know that my level, my, my level of energy, my, my muscles, my body's ability to lift a certain amount of weight or be able to run a certain speed is very much affected by how long I've been awake or what I've been able to put inside my body to energize myself. So I, yeah, like you're saying, like, I know if I were to go to the, if I were to go work out at five or 6am, I'm not going to be able to do these, the same amount of work that I can when I go to those noon classes or those four or five thirty classes. Right. I bet your uh, four thirty five classes are your best classes. Yeah, probably it did. Every now and again, you just have those days where you're just like, ugh, you're, you're, you're just body drained for rest. whatever reason. Body rest. Yeah. And it's not even like a, it's not even like, I didn't sleep enough, or maybe I've even gone to the gym a credible amount, an incredible amount. But those those days, like, eh, it doesn't matter what time I go, it's going to be a tough one. But I know for a fact that if I were going at six a.m., I think I would, I would, there would be a noticeable difference in maybe. I'm not sure about the amount of weight that I can put up, but certainly the level of consistency that that consistency of putting up that same amount of weight for a, a sustained period of time, which is what CrossFit's kind of all about. Right. Continuously doing something over a long period of time. So I am finding out that, you know, I have to eat a banana right before I go to spin class or right before I sweat a lot just because my muscles will seize up. And I've been mm -hmm. in classes before where I didn't eat a banana and my both of my calves started seizing up together. That's the worst. It's weird when both your calves seize up at the same time. Um, I don't recommend it. There's nothing like stretching it out just is incredibly painful and just an awkward thing. It feels like your muscles being oh, ripped yeah. off the bone. Yeah. Um, I'm also realizing that the best drink to drink for me during workouts is like two, like one part Gatorade, one part water because regular Gatorade is way too sweet for me. Um, and I can get like a stomach ache from that. 
Uh, so that's usually like the most opportune like workout regimen. I used to get all of my uh, Gatorade free uh, at FanDuel, but nowadays I've been oh, wow. I've been going back to water. Um, yeah, they get they got that G two stuff, which was like a little bit lighter on the sugar, but it's still cut in half by water. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays I eat a banana about twenty minutes before I start my spin, so it gets a chance to start to get digested. And I can feel it when I'm pushing really hard. I can feel like the edge of when my calves want to start to seize up. Like I can, I can feel that I'm flirting with it a little bit. Um, but the what I equate spin class to is just imagine you're running stuck in the mud or stuck in sand. You know, like you're you're stuck in calf high sand and you're trying to run in that. That's what I equate my my sort of spin. Uh, resistance to and so when you're pushing really hard to go as hard as you can uh, increase your rpms um but your resistance is that sticky it can be really tough and so that's why i definitely need a banana because i sweat so hard that i'm also thinking about like incorporating a little bit more salt but i also don't want to eat a full meal i do brush my teeth though before i head out obviously um because that's just nasty but um i remember yeah, a like full, a full meal would not be a good look oh absolutely it's, not it's it's almost a hard thing to break i think like that desire to eat in the morning before working out but yeah you don't want to be working out on a full I'm stomach about maybe eating a, eating a few almonds or something yeah i mean you can get you get to the level where you know some people eat like seven meals over the course of a day and a meal is kind of relative because they count snacks but that would, that would certainly be a meal, like a banana, right. some it's almonds, just a few nuts. caloric intake at that point. Yeah, exactly. Just just enough to get you through to keep your body going at that time. Those, the 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 muscles seizing up are the worst. Yeah, it happens to me almost every time I do leg curls when I when I go to the gym. Okay. Do leg curls. It happens to me like all the time in my quads. Yeah, I mean it's your largest muscle, and you're over not you're over exerting, but you're exerting close to you're redlining. Yeah. So, that also reminds me like. The fact that Elena can do all that and not eat... She drinks water, though, right? Yeah, definitely. So I think all that water keeps her fully hydrated. And so that removes sort of like the dehydration hunger that a lot of us mm. feel like, oh my god, I'm hungry. No, you're just really dehydrated. Um, like when you and I do our 8.30 sessions in the morning, um, I'm usually eating breakfast. Like I, I, I'm, You can hear me eating my breakfast. Yeah. And that's usually my large ass yogurt and then like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a cup of coffee. And I'm starving yeah. by that time. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's also because I usually eat at that time. And so my body is conditioned to accept that amount of yeah. calories at that time of the day. It's just like, hey, it's time. It's time. Yeah, absolutely. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff in those yogurts. Have I told you what's in those yogurts? Yeah, you have at some point, but but I don't know if you've told the listeners, so go for it. It's like 2% Faye yogurt, um, F-A-G-E. It's not phage. Um, I learned that the hard way. Uh, <laughs> I was like, hey, you got that, those phage yogurt? She goes, do you so, mean Faye? And I was like, really? how about you go Faye? Fuck yourself. Get over yourself. Yeah, seriously, man. Yeah. Get, get out of here. Um, but F-A-G-E. F-A-G-E. I got you know, 2%. You knew, you knew what I was talking about. Don't sit there like, uh, do you mean? Uh, you knew what I was talking about, right? Exactly. Just, like, why I you gotta do me like correct, this? I appreciate you correcting me on it, but you did you gotta say it like that? Exactly. Why you gotta do me dirty like this? Um, ain't nobody appreciating this right now. Um, but uh, 
then there is uh, so that's a base, and then I do this thing called muesli, M-U-E-S-L-I. I get the uh, the the keto version. Is it the keto or the- yeah, keto version, right? So uh, everything's like super fucking natural, you know, like no sugar, so nothing. Um, it's basically like think think of it as granola, but European and like stupid healthy. Um, I do two tablespoons of that. I do a little bit of honey. And then I add blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, pomegranate seeds, and almonds. So, I feel like you could sell that for about 10 bucks in New York. And people would gladly buy that shit. Like, imagine a grab-and-go with that kind of, with those ingredients. People, I feel like, would pay premium for that. I don't know. You also couldn't customize it because I only know how to make that. And I don't want to start customizing this shit for customers. Anyways, <laughs> I have to eat that because my body just feels like it's starving. So I bet you really appreciate it when I'm crunching away in your ear. Yeah, uh, you're pretty good about it. Um, Should we move on? About to like, do like one not more? doing it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just, just scroll around and find one. All right. Um Wow, I didn't know about this one. Or I didn't realize this. The entire continent of South America is east of Florida. I gotta open up I gotta open up Google Maps real quick. That's crazy. <laughs> really? Apparently. East of Florida? I'm, I'm 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 pulling it up right now. Oh, that does make sense because Central America yeah, wow. yeah. goes from west to east like real hard. Yeah, it does. I'm seeing it right now. I don't know if the entire continent is east of Florida. It looks like Ecuador is pretty is pretty much aligned. But Florida at also some point. goes east of the Panhandle. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good point too. Right. Yeah, who drew that yeah. state line up? Jesus, I don't know, man. The state line uh, that there should definitely be a uh, let that sink in fact about the state lines. Yeah, about the, how they were drawn. Uh, the the <laughs> there's a video that I've seen about the the um, the U.S. Canadian border uh, right above. Or I guess I, I I don't know if I I don't know about the part about uh, uh, north of Minnesota. It's really wonky there, but from uh, like central Minnesota all the way west to Washington, it's drawn as a straight line that you'll see on Google Maps. But it's not really a straight line in real life. Like they try to make it straight, but it didn't end up being straight. And I think there ends up being like certain areas that are just kind of conflicted where the U.S. and Canada will both claim territory. Right. That reminds me of like the time where, speaking of like how states get drawn, when uh, Jefferson sent people out. Was it Jefferson for the Louisiana Purchase? And uh, I think they originally tried to buy it from Napoleon, but when Napoleon was like rich and doing well, he goes, "Nah, man, like price is going to be too high for that." And then when Napoleon started his final campaign, he like burned through France's war chest, and they were like basically on the brink of just being becoming bankrupt. So Jefferson goes in. And he goes, all right, well, you know, we can get this for cheap at this point because they're, <laughs> they're like real desperate, right? Yeah. So not only the, like he gave the two ambassadors or whatever, like this thing, you'll listen, you can't spend more than this amount. All right. Like this is like your, your fix. This is all you can spend. I think it was like 14 million. But back then 14 million was like, what, a couple billion now or something like that? It's, it was purchased. Uh, I see the U.S. paid 50 million, 15, 50 million francs. 
11.25 million. Okay. And, and some other stuff says something about $15 million, which is equivalent to $300 million in 2016. Million, right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm all over the place with this number. But the original was like, he, they weren't supposed to pay that much. And then what they ended up doing was they realized how much Napoleon was willing to sell to sell to get money to fund his war. But yeah. also Jefferson was smart because uh, France had actually owed the U.S. a lot of money. So they they added his debt to it. Mm. So they're like, imagine I being see. in Napoleon's situation. Like, all right, bro, I need to sell this for how many francs was it? 50 million? 50 million, yeah. Because I need this for 50 million francs. I need 50 million right now. And then you come over, you go, you know what? Deal. But, okay, you owe us 15 million. So I'm only going to give you 35. And what are you going to do? Say no? Nah, you need that money. You got me over a barrel you're, right you're, now. You're in a bad spot. Right. So you so you erase that debt. Great. Now I got to go back into debt with you to get more of this stuff out of you. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was being at the right place at the right time with the right amount of money. And yeah. then, and then America effectively more than doubled. Yeah. For three hundred yeah, million dollars. I mean, it's pr- so much of the Midwest it's, that was yeah. purchased during the yeah. during the Louisiana through the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah. Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin were still there. Um. But geez, just seeing it, just seeing it drawn out on the map. It's been it's been so long since I've ever been, if, since I've even thought about the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah. It took humanity approximately four times longer to switch from copper swords to steel swords than it took to switch from steel swords to nuclear bombs. Mm. That's when you start wow. to overinvest in civilization and the technology and culture tree, <laughs> and you win with those points. <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we leave it at that one? Uh, let me see. Let me see if there's one more if I can find it next second. All right. Uh, uh, the Holy Roman Empire existed until 30 years after the United States was founded. 1770. How many? The Holy Roman Empire existed until 30 years after the United States was founded. 1776 oh. to 1806. Wow. Wow. Interesting. What? There are 12 times more trees on Earth than stars in the Milky Way. I've heard that one. There are 200 to 400 billion stars versus 3 trillion trees? It's a lot. We're back to space, Reza. (laughs) If the sun were scaled down to the size of a white blood cell, if the sun were scaled down to the size of a white blood cell, mm-hmm. the Milky Way galaxy would be the size of the continental United States, Reza. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the Milky Way. That's the crazy thing. But that's that's why I'm saying, like, even even when you try to like when you try to to use these little metaphors and stuff and try to explain the size of things, it's still difficult to conceptualize. Like, I don't, I can't truly conceptualize the size of a, of a white blood cell compared to, I don't know, uh, 
uh, as far as I'm concerned, as far as my eyes could see, an atom, you know? Right. But still. Two more. I got two more for you. The U.S. Navy has the second largest air force in the world. Do you want to guess who has the first? I'm going to go ahead and say the Air Force. You want to know? You want to guess who has a third? Is it the uh, Marines? Close. Marines are in the top ten. The U.S. Army has the third the largest Air Force. Okay. I was I was between the Army and Marines. I guess I, guess I should have said Army. Isn't that crazy? So who's got, the, who's got the fourth? Who cares? Is it like the Coast Guard or something? Yeah. Can you, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, they said that um, it used to be they, they measure – here's a fun fact for you. Air Force effectiveness. You know how they measure it by? How many planes a single U.S. fighter can take down uh, on one tank of fuel. <laughs> wow. Okay. I never knew that. Yeah. At the height of its power, I think American airplanes could take down like 15 to 1. Jeez. And now it's about 3 to 1. Oh, that's it? Yeah, well, now because uh, Europe has like the Eurofighter, uh, uh, they have the okay. Joint Strike Fighter. America's yeah. still trying to figure out if the F twenty two Raptor. Is, I mean, F twenty two Raptor is great; it's in service, but you don't have that many of it. And they're also yeah. trying to figure out what the F thirty five or with the with a new one that they're ten years behind and a trillion dollars over budget. Oh Jesus, yeah, yeah. Anyways, let's end it off there because I'm gonna keep reading these. All right, all right. I'm Reza. I'm Sandy. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next week.